Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, June 9th, marks our 181st program. Today's featured Actus solution is Actus Online CDI Summer Retreat. Uh, this is the last time you'll be hearing this commercial because the Actus CDI Summer Retreat kicks off June 23rd through 25th, right about the time of our next podcast. Uh, if you haven't yet signed up for this program, you might want to check it out on hcmarketplace.com. It's our biggest and hopefully most fun virtual event yet. We have two tracks of education focused on honing your CDI skills as well as uh, professional development. Uh, some interesting sessions, a couple inspiring keynotes, and some fun that we're planning on having as well. So check it out at either actus.org or hcmarketplace.com. My name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, New Technology and Change Management. Today's show is sponsored by 3M Health Information Systems. 3M Health Information Systems, now with Mmodal, delivers innovative software and consulting services designed for a wide range of healthcare environments. From closing the loop between clinical care and revenue integrity to computer-assisted coding, CDI and performance monitoring, 3M can help you reduce cost and provide more informed care. All right, so I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Don Valdez. Don is a clinical documentation integrity specialist, education specialist for us here at HCPRO and Actus. She serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps and a subject matter expert. Don has more than 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry, including ICU nursing, legal nurse consulting, CDI clinical educator, and CDI management. Welcome back to the show, Dawn. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. All right. We have with us today two guests, and we're hoping that both are going to make, make it through the duration of the show. Um, we've had a couple technical, minor tech issues, but we're working through them, and I believe they're both here now. First, I want to introduce... Uh, Corey Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is medical director for Intermountain Physician Advisor Services, where he has responsibility for physician utilization review, CDI, physician education, and physician appeals and denials. He, Dr. Anderson is a hospitalist at one of Intermountain Healthcare's trauma facilities. He's worked there for over 12 years, uh, has a great background. He helped build the program through serving as a lead and a mentor to other physician advisors passionate about this work, and uh, we're glad to have him on the show. So welcome, Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Brian. I'm excited to be here. All right. We also have with us today uh, Kirsten Jorgensen. Kirsten is the Systems Operations Director for Physician Advisor Services, also at Intermountain Healthcare. In this role, she supports operations for physician utilization review, CDI, Physician Education, Appeals and Denials. She has over 20 years of experience at Intermountain Healthcare, overseeing various aspects of healthcare, including billing, RevCycle, and CDI. I also want to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, let's get started with a poll question. You all, you guys all know the drill here. Please pick 
actually, one thing different about this poll. This is a check all that apply. So typically, I ask for one option. I've since figured out that uh, GoToWebinar allows for multiple options. So we're asking you today, what is your biggest obstacle to implementing new physician-facing CDI tech besides cost? Cost is probably um, obviously a big one, but um, you want to get to some other obstacles you might be having. So this is physician-facing CDI technology. What are some obstacles that you might have had? Is it clinically unreliable queries or prompts? Maybe the doctors are getting uh, physician reluctance. Maybe they're just skeptical of the tool in general. Are you having some compliance concerns? Maybe the, the queries aren't formatted you like, or they don't match some of your hospital definitions. Uh, is it usability in general, just workflow or other? And I would love to hear your other, I'm sure there are some interesting other responses and you can go ahead and drop those in the, uh, in the questions chat and send those to me. I'll keep an eye on them during the show. So again, what's your biggest obstacle to implementing new physician facing CDI tech? Those have all come in. We've got about 60% of our audience has voted and we will come back to this in just a few minutes. All right. As I mentioned, Dr. Anderson, Kirsten, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Um, I thought we could just set the stage here by talking a little bit about Intermountain Healthcare, your CDI program across the system, and what led to the need for um, your new technology adoption. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. Um, I'll tell you just a little bit about Intermountain Healthcare. Um, so we're a Utah-based non-for-profit system. We have 24 hospitals. One of those is a virtual hospital. Uh, we have a medical group with more than 2,400 providers, um, around 160 clinics. And then we're an integrated delivery network, which means we have our own payer. Um, and then we have a footprint in uh, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and Wyoming. Um, currently our CDI team is around 40 individuals and we started our CDI journey in 2007. Um, with geographic pockets that functioned very independently. Um, these groups accomplished great things, but they also had some significant struggles. One of which is that they had archaic workflows. Um, more specifically, they really only looked at Medicare and Medicaid payers and worked with paper charts and things of that nature. Um, and then they also really, we um, also struggled with physician engagement. And so there was a couple of things that happened right around 2017 that I think really started our journey on, on migrating and adopting new technology. Um, the first thing is that we migrated from a homegrown EMR to one of the commercial EMR products. And that really forced us to look at how we were functioning. Um, we then soon after that um, were moved under the accountability of our physician advisor department. And then we also were integrated into the quality department. So quite a few things happened all at once. And we realized that we were not going to be able to meet the goals of our new leaders without bringing on some technology that would allow us to look at all payers um, and really be able to prioritize our reviews. Because at that time, like I had spoken of, um, we were just looking at Medicare and Medicaid. So we needed to be able to have the um, the technology to help us understand what's a value-added review. 
Um, and then we needed to be able to look at risk adjustment. And so we had a couple conversations with different um, entities and we really settled on the 3M360 product. And the suite that we have implemented at this time includes software that has computer assisted coding, um, natural language understanding, natural language processing, um, account prioritization. We have the ability to develop and also pull from a library of suspect conditions and, and evaluate those based on um, you know, NLU and NLP. Um, we have a physician CAPD and nudge um, platform that we're using. And then we also have integration with our coding department and we're able to use tools to communicate seamlessly between each other and leverage each other within our workflow. So that's just a little bit of background and why we started this journey that we've been on um, as we've leveraged tools and technology specifically with um, that 3M suite. Yeah, that's amazing just to hear, you know, started with different silo, sort of siloed uh, hospitals, just speak to the nature of the organization being as it was back then in paper charts to a just a massive complete suite of technology you just <laughs> briefly described. I, I, I thought that was amazing. Um, and I, I, there's, there's been few things that have trans, transformed CDI more than than tech in the time I've, I've been at Actus putting on my, my, my grandfather hat here. But it's it's been amazing to see what's gone on the last 15 years or so. I would agree with that, Brian. And as I was listening to Kirsten, she was triggering some memories around the same time frame when I went through similar experiences in integrating new technology. And what I was thinking about as you were speaking is what were some of the obstacles that you encountered, not just from CDI, but from the physicians? Because when they started using the new technology, in my experience, we had a lot of obstacles. So I'm just curious as to what were the objections that you guys face that our listeners might want to know about as they embrace the same types of, of changes? Sure. Thank you so much, Don. Um, I'll share just briefly from a CDI perspective, and then I'll pass it to Dr. Anderson to share from a physician perspective. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, so I would definitely say there's um, several challenges when you implement a new software that um, need to be managed and addressed. And so one of our key challenges um, I would share, and it's a bit of a reoccurring theme for us when we have um, some type of really significant software, um, is making sure that we have um, our review flow all worked out. Um, and I'll share an example to illustrate this. So when we first started on the tool, we were using audit sheets. And um, when we first implemented 3M360, what we did is we started approaching our reviews with our old kind of approach. And then we pulled in the tool as somewhat of an afterthought. Um, and this impacted our productivity significantly. And so we essentially needed to figure out a way to be able to work within the tool and kind of break down some of our patterns so that we could then complement what the software was bringing forward to us and so that we'd have the ability to evaluate the financial quality and risk adjustment items really embedded within that software. And anytime, again, there's been a significant software update, we kind of hold on to our old ways of doing things. And we've had to really step back, analyze and have some innovation in how we leverage the clinical skills with what the software is bringing for us. So I would say that's from 
a CDI perspective, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Anderson for a, for a comment on the physician perspective. Thanks, Kirsten. Yeah, Don, I would say, you know, from the physician perspective, it's a lot of the similar pushback that you probably would expect with a lot of things related to CDI, right? So definitely the attitude of uh, another new tool that I now have to learn, I now have to figure out how to get comfortable with, how much is this going to interrupt or disrupt my workflow where I'm already busy, I've got, uh, you know, 27 different things that I've got to try to get done every day as we just have more and more put on our plate. And so it's funny, we actually had a conversation with our uh, CEO of, of our organization yesterday who I'm paraphrasing, but made the comment of, you know, we may hate or be uncomfortable with change, but we'll hate or be uncomfortable with being irrelevant even more. Right. And I think that's somewhat the mentality, right, is that healthcare is changing and, and it's our job to help these physicians and providers keep up with it. And so to address some of these concerns, we really worked hard to develop what we call a core curriculum education around CDI that we've rolled out across our organization to all the providers and the APPs. And what this education is about is it really takes some time to define the why behind this work, help them understand the importance of the accurate patient medical record as it impacts transitions of care from hospital to outpatient, how quality metrics are, are measured and how documentation impacts that. And then there's obviously the financial piece. And in doing that, we have brought in physician educators to do that. And we've designed using our educators as kind of a test forum for some of the physician nudges, for example, where we have them do the, use the nudges in a, in a test mode for you know, several weeks to make sure that those nudges work appropriately before we roll them out to our frontline physicians so that we minimize as much as we can the clunkiness or the interruptions or just the you know, inability of, of the technology to work the way we want. I like that. I like that you were proactive and you did a test, pro, you know, project because we didn't do that. And when it went live, you know, the physicians were kind of in, in disarray. And then I can relate to what Kirsten was saying about the habits. You know, one of the biggest obstacles that I've encountered is the capturing the financial impact in the software system instead of doing a manual process. That was an old, you know, hard habit to, to break. So it sounds like you guys are really ahead of the game. So that's a very good thing. Thank you for that information. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other piece is I think sometimes people are mistaken that, you know, you, you buy the latest piece of tech and it will be adopted. It, it will solve problems. But at the same time, um, and Kirsten, you alluded to this earlier, you, you guys decided to move for various reasons to a physician-led CDI program. I think you know, not not coincidentally to help with this buy-in, to, to give it a little more authority and, and have the physicians use it. So could you talk about that approach and how it might have helped with overall program buy-in uh, and, and technology adoption? Brian, so as Kirsten mentioned, we did bring in a medical director a few years ago when we really looked to, you know, enhance the program. And I, the value that that has brought, I think it's almost hard to, to quantify on some level. Um, we, we now had a voice with a medical director to go and communicate with other physician leaders, both at the system level, but then at the local hospital level. And what we did with, with having a medical director is we started to set up quarterly um, meetings with each of our hospital facilities and their medical director and their administrative team 
to talk about the work so that we all knew where we were at and we were on the same page with our objectives and how we were moving forward. We meet monthly to quarterly with all of our system um, service line medical directors to again review where they're at with the work, where their needs and their gaps are. And what this has done is it's got th this work as being important to those leaders, which then translates down to the frontline physicians, right? If it's important to the leaders, it becomes important to the, to the folks that they lead. And the other thing that we did, as I mentioned, is we hired physician educators. And our organization is broken up into geographies across uh, Southern Idaho down through Utah. And we have educators in each of those geographies. Most of them are hospitalists and they're embedded within the hospitals and the operations of, of those geographies and they understand the challenges of the facilities. They meet monthly with the local coding uh, team, the CDI team and the quality team so that again, we're all on the same page as we move the work forward. And then we have worked to provide metrics and scorecards back to our physicians and physician leaders around this work so that they can see how they're doing and where they still have opportunity for improvement. That's great. That's, that is yeah, great. Tremendous leadership there. It sounds like you have nuts to bolts all the way across and, and getting that engagement going, which is such an important aspect, especially I like the physician scorecard concept as well. So since you've implemented this new technology and you've done a lot of these uh, reprocessing of all of the ways that you guys communicate and keep engaged, but what are the tangible benefits from the adoption of this new technology? And when I talk about that, I'm specifically talking about CDI metrics such as financial impact, physician engagement, um, provider responses, and then any quality measures that you guys do have found a way to capture uh, within your metrics. What are the benefits of all of that, as well as patient care? Yeah, Don, so just, you know, we're still, as far as the physician nudges, that is one area that we're still trying to get those metrics teased out, and we're close to having that to really be able to show the value of what that brings in terms of just learned behavior by the physicians of not even needing to be nudged any longer to document some of these conditions. But as far as some of the other kind of typical metrics that, that you look at within CDI, you know, what we've seen uh, over the course of the last year, year or two with implementing this technology is we've seen our system CMI improve by about a tenth of a point, um, which, as you know, from a financial perspective across a, a system of 24 hospitals, that's a significant financial improvement. Uh, we've seen our PSIs drop by about 15 percent across wow. the organization. We've seen, we are, we are a Vizient organization, meaning we participate in the Vizient uh, measurements. We've seen our expected mortality uh, increase by about 35% across the organization. And we've seen our query response with the physicians go from the mid 80s to about 95% uh, of our queries being responded to. And then we've seen our query generation um, by our CDIs um, increase uh, markedly. Uh, up around 20 to 30 percent um, from implementing the technology uh, the way that we have. So those are a few of the highlights I would share. That's very impressive, especially with your quality measures with PSI and your expected mortality rates. That's a big jump. Mm -hmm. So good job. Yeah, outstanding. Well, I mean, we, we, we could spend all day talking on this subject, but maybe mm -hmm. just some, some final takeaways for our audience, particularly on the change management side, because I, again, I'm still 
amazed to hear about the tools you're using, both you know CDI communication, physician facing nudges. Um, you know, any any final takeaways or lessons learned, or maybe some things not to do or be wary of for that successful new tech adoption. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot that could be said on this, but maybe just to be brief, I think the first thing is that it's important to be prepared and it's important to involve the right people. When I speak about being prepared, we talked a little bit about how it's important to make sure that our workflows are all established. So I say, um, you know, training the CDSRNs on any software implementation early is really critical to allow that innovation to happen and to also document the, the new ways that we're gonna do things. And the reason for that is if you have a standard process, any way that, it just becomes easier to have process improvements because you have one way to improve the process instead of many. Um, as it relates to um, involving the team within Intermountain, we have regularly scheduled huddles and we have those at all levels of the organization. And so we actually leveraged that structure with our CDSRNs to involve them in the implementation of the software. So we would get their feedback on what wasn't working. We would take it to our vendor and then 3M would come back and we'd be able to disseminate that out via our huddle structure. I also think it's really critical to involve our clinical partners and clinical leaders. Um, we, meet, we met with them to make sure that they knew um, what we were doing, whether it be um, CAPD nudges or queries, and they had a say in what we were doing. And then we were able to go back and meet with them and show data as to you know, where we're at, where we need to have gap closures. And so really in sum, um, we really focused on being prepared and involving key stakeholders. Perfect. All right, well, thanks. This was terrific, great success story. Uh, a lot of work went into that, but um, sure you guys have a lot to be proud of here at, 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 um, at Intermountain. So. Let's go ahead and take a look at our poll results to see what our audience thinks here. I'm gonna go ahead and share that. So again, we asked folks, um, what is your biggest obstacle to implementing new physician-facing CDI tech besides cost? Uh, Two-thirds, 67%, our majority, our largest bucket have said physician reluctance and skepticism to the new tool. We heard a little bit about that early on here today. Uh, workflow hangups, 53%. 32% um, are saying they're getting some clinically unreliable queries or prompts. 28% have some compliance concerns and 6% other. I'm gonna go ahead and see what some of our other responses were, but just curious, maybe I'll start with, with Dr. Anderson, if you had any thoughts about this poll, anything surprise you or not? I don't think anything surprises me. I think it, it just goes to the point of the physician reluctance and skepticism. And I, I think as we highlighted, you know, we definitely had some of that as well. But as we mentioned, I think having a structure and involving, as Kirsten mentioned, the right people, meaning the key leaders and, and bringing this work to them and making it important to them, that helps you get a lot of the buy-in and overcome a lot of the reluctance and skepticism. Mm -hmm. Some comments from the audience. Too many clicks, common complaint. Um, time restraints, considering extensive quality measures, EHR challenges. Um, let's see what else. Part of our a comment here from our listeners, part of our consideration is that the culture between entities within the health system itself can be fairly diverse. 
as well as the SOI patient base and language utilized. So diversity across the organization, it sounds like you guys had to, had a little bit of those issues as well that, that you had to bring together um, before you could roll some of this out. Interesting comments. It is, I think, I think one of the best things that you guys did was how you preempted the, the physician training with working out some of the kinks prior to. And then the second move that I see that was very beneficial is the physician-led CDI and how you guys orchestrated and implemented that because it does give them more ownership. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, at this point, we're going to switch to our in the news segment of the show. So again, in the news is a regular segment featuring the latest industry updates and, re and news relevant to the CDI and uh, CDI profession and Actus. You guys should be seeing this on your screen. It's a um, latest report from the OIG. I know, frankly, a, a majority of our listeners are not involved in outpatient or risk-based CDI. We have some recent polling data that shows that number around 20%. Um, thought this report was interesting for those that might be in this space or considering it. Again, this one made me sit up and, and take notice a little bit. It's an audit of diagnoses submitted by the insurer Anthem under a Medicare Advantage arrangement. So these diagnoses are used for HCC assignment and prospective payment for patients under a capitated model by which insurers like Humana and others uh, receive uh, per member per month amount from CMS, an anticipated uh, amount for of providing Medicare benefits to a given enrollee, chronic and other health conditions can up this amount, which when reported compliantly and with sufficient supporting indicators can make a difference. Uh, the OIG, however, went in and looked at seven groups of high-risk diagnosis codes that Anthem submitted to CMS. These were high payment amounts from 2015 and 2016, and they discovered that in 123 of the 203 enrollee years, that diagnosis codes that Anthem submitted to CMS, uh, these were not supported, according to the OIG, in the medical record, resulting in an overpayment of about $354,000 in net overpayments. The OIG, as we you guys might know, uses a method of extrapolation whereby they they know, they not just dock the hospital or health insurer in this case that amount, but um, extrapolate a larger sample size. Uh, they estimated that Anthem received at least 3.47 million in overpayments. Anthem disagreed with that. There are some comments from them here. Um, you know, I know skeptical listeners might say, well, Anthem's a multi-billion dollar company. I looked them up. They, they for example, in the 2015 and 2016 payment years, they were paid 2.3 billion, so drop in the bucket. But I think what's interesting about this and what made me take notice is the is the error rate. So if you look at that 123 of 203 enrollee years that they said were an error, that's about a 61% error rate. So these diagnoses included things like acute stroke, acute heart attack, uh, and, and both of those in combination embolisms, vascular claudication, major depressive disorder, and then potentially miskeyed diagnoses. So as I always do, I'm going to give a link to this report in the show notes. Recommend you check it out. I know this is an insurer, but um, 
it's it's just interesting to see what the OIG is looking at in terms of diagnoses. There's some information here what errors they're seeing. Um, so check it out when you get a moment to, to, to read the report. Maybe I'll just kick it over to our guests here again uh, for Kirsten, Dr. Anderson. Are you, you guys involved or engaged at all in outpatient CDI efforts? I, I did hear a little bit about risk capture that you might be doing. And if you have any thoughts on the report in general. Yeah, thank you, Brian. I mean, I think first off, it's very scary to a profession that really focuses on accuracy and compliance. Um, that being said, we do have an outpatient CDI program, and the way we've kind of segmented it within Inner Mountain is our group is the acute group. Um, we have a clinic group looking at CDI, and then within our payer, um, we do have a CDI group, and we are focusing specifically on documentation capture with a focus on ClinVal, but within the payer side, they are focusing specifically and solely on clinical validation of those conditions before we actually submit them to CMS. So we do have a little bit of an advantage that way, but I do think there's opportunities for us to focus more proactively within our clinic and acute space, especially just reflecting on this story. Dr. Anderson, any thoughts? Brian, I would just add, I, it seems like this is kind of the, the pattern with the OIG and with a lot of these auditing agencies, right, of looking for new ways um, to scrutinize things, whether it's, you know, malnutrition mm -hmm. or high-weighted DRGs or other things. And I think it just becomes more imperative on us as CDI teams to both educate our physicians to be specific and clear in their documentation, but then also have good workflows and processes uh, on the back end to do the clinical validation work. And we do partner with our compliance department as well to do some internal audits from time to time on some of these issues to, again, make sure that we're moving in the right direction. So, yeah. Good stuff. Appreciate it, guys. Let's just wrap up with a brief Actus update. This is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. I know, look, I got lucky. Right here on the, <laughs> the homepage of Actus.org, if you haven't been to Actus.org, go ahead, check it out. We have a 2021 travel survey where, frankly, you know, we're, we're seeing now the country opening up quite a bit here as more and more folks are getting vaccinated. Regulations are being eased by the CDC. So we're trying to keep in touch with our membership and learn how much travel you're all comfortable with these days. This is a short survey. I think it's only six questions. Don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure it's six, only six questions. You know, selfishly, we're trying to see our people potentially coming to our 2021 Actus Conference in Dallas. Um, we know it's a big ask this year, but we're, we're obviously gonna be there. We're excited for a live event. Uh, we know that there are different policies, different organizations have so if you could take about a minute to a minute and a half of your time to click that link here, I'm hovering over our 2021 travel survey. It's going to help us uh, organize and plan our events throughout the rest of the year. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. One important note, we're going to be back here again, not quite in two full weeks. We're going to be back here on Tuesday. June 22nd. So a day early, we, we, we will be notifying you all with some emails like we always do about this slightly different cadence for our next show. That's because we have our virtual uh, summer retreat uh, taking place on the 23rd. So 
be be back here. We're talk, going to be talking orienting CDI staff, particularly how this looks now in a remote environment. Been a lot more challenging to get new CDI specialists up to speed post COVID with a lot of CDI departments at home. So check us out again. I want to thank Kirsten and Dr. Anderson. Great job today. Um, outstanding to hear about your the success of your program. Want to thank 3M Health Information Systems again for their support of today's show. As always, if you have any suggestions, ideas for future guests, uh, topics, maybe some other cool idea that I haven't thought of, I, this, this is how I get my show ideas. So send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that'll do it. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone.